Hey, welcome to the Crosspoint Church Podcast. I'm Rob Chartrand, the lead pastor of the church. We're a church that's for the city in Edmonton, Alberta, Canada, and are passionate about helping people find their way back to God. Hey, if you're new, I'll have a bit to say at the end of the podcast, but in the meantime, let's listen to this Sunday's message. Well, good morning, everyone who's in the house this morning, you brave souls who made your way through the snow and the the fury elements to make your way here this morning, and uh, the nine o'clock was a lot fuller, uh, so maybe people decided to get up a little earlier and shovel. Welcome to those of you who are joining us online as well this morning, um, and uh, I just want to say that today we're continuing our teaching series about personal identity, and more specifically today, we are going to talk about how Jesus moves us from having a fragmented self towards having a complete self. Uh, now, I just want to remind you of a couple of things. There's going to be Q&A after the gathering this morning, so uh, I want to encourage you to not put pause on that, but you can fire off questions even uh, as the message is going on. Uh, as well, if you want notes, thecrosspointchurch.ca slash notes, and you can get digital versions there, either PDF or uh, Word doc, um, and it lets you to follow along and to take notes of, of what we're talking about this morning. Uh, if you have a Bible, digital or paper, Matthew 23 is where we're going to find ourselves. We're going to land there uh, a little bit later on during the message. And so I uh, encourage you to get your thumb in there now, and uh, we can track with that together. Let me start this morning with a provocative statement. At no other point in human history has the self ever been so fragmented for so many people. And this is ironic because at no other point in human history have we been so obsessed with the self. So what do I mean by that? Well, when I say that the self is fragmented, I mean that many people kind of has these feelings that there are multiple versions of themselves. It feels like their identity is kind of being pulled in so many different directions. So like there's the private version of myself. Uh, there's the online version of myself, depending on which social media site I find myself on. There's the work version. There's the family version. Uh, so the modern self doesn't feel whole. It doesn't feel complete. In many ways, it feels like we're fragmented, pulled in many different directions. So let me give you an example. Let me ask you a question this morning. Um, who is Michael Jackson? So when you hear his name, the name Michael Jackson, what is the First image that comes to mind for you. Hold on to that image. Michael Jackson. All right, so what did you see? Um, you might remember the cute and talented little Michael Jackson who's part of the Jackson 5, right? He sang the songs, I Want You Back and Rockin' Robin. Maybe that's your Michael Jackson. Or maybe you, you remember the emerging adult young pop star Michael Jackson on his world-changing thriller album with the glove and, you know, the red jacket with the V on it. You remember that? Or maybe you remember the eccentric Michael Jackson with all of the different face changes and he bought himself a pet chimp that he named Bubbles and he bought this $100 million mansion that he turned into the Neverland theme park. Maybe that's your Michael Jackson. Or maybe you remember the Michael Jackson who faced a number of different scandals and hung his baby over a balcony for all the world to see. Now, Michael Jackson, we know the story. He died in 2009. It was tragic. He was only 15 years old. It was a drug overdose. But when the media covered his death way back then, uh, it seems like only yesterday for some of us, but way back then, um, 
Some of them admitted, some of the reporters admitted that they weren't sure which Michael Jackson they were actually supposed to cover. It was almost as if there were different Michael Jacksons that they were covering and talking about. And what's interesting is even today, we still have some confusion about who is the real, authentic Michael Jackson. So much so that the cancel culture still can't cancel him because they're not sure which Michael Jackson they want to cancel. So the, the Michael Jackson phenomenon, it just, it just kind of helps illustrate how our modern culture splits us into different versions of ourselves. And the question I have this morning is this, is how did we get here? How did we get to this place in this moment in time? Much of this, I think a lot of people can say, well, a lot of this has been augmented by our communication technologies. But here's the thing, is we can't simply blame it on Facebook. Because this fragmentation has actually been happening for hundreds of years. It's been a slow progression that's moved us towards where we are now. So it began, this movement to where we're at, it began with the removal of what's called a fixed point of reference for human identity. So we, had a, we once had a fixed point of reference for understanding our identity. It's been moved away, and since that's been moved away, it's actually led us towards a trajectory towards this fragmentation. That's what I want to talk about this morning. Uh, so I wonder if you've had this experience before. You ever been sitting on a bus, and you look out the window, and out the side of the window, there's another bus beside you, right? And all of a sudden, you see that other bus, and it suddenly starts moving. And then suddenly, your brain starts spinning because you're not sure... Is my bus moving or is that other bus moving? Or maybe you've had it in the car. Like you've been in your car and you see the car moving beside you. And suddenly you start pumping the brakes because you're not sure if your car is moving or not. Okay. So this is a disorientation that goes on inside your brain. Your brain starts spinning. And in order for your brain to find clarity in that moment, what does it do? It immediately starts looking out beyond itself on the horizon for fixed points of reference. A traffic light. A street light. A person standing on the corner. Because if it can have that fixed point of reference, then you know whether it's your vehicle that's moving or if it's the other vehicle that's moving beside you. Because here's the thing. The brain knows it can't just trust its perception. It can't just trust its intuition or feelings. It needs this fixed reference point to understand where it is. And, and the central challenge we find ourselves today in terms of human identity, personal identity, is that we have jettisoned our most significant point of reference when it comes to understanding who we are. And this fixed point of reference is what we call the vertical self. Now, if you were here for the first week of the series, you know that we talked about the vertical self. And uh, I'm not going to spend a ton of time on it this morning, but I think it's important to recap it to kind of get us up to speed and what we're going to talk about today. Because uh, I did deal with it quite a bit in the first week. Uh, so your vertical self. What is the vertical self? It is your vision of yourself that's part of a greater transcendent spiritual reality, okay? So it, it's, it's, it has a belief in a spiritual or divine reality that's beyond just this physical, tangible world that we live in. So to have a vertical self, if you have a vertical sense of self, it means you believe that the world you're in has a given order and has a given meaning. And the way that humans uh, discover their meaning is always in light of this vertical self, in light of this transcendent self, because it gives order to the world in which you're in. And so the desire then is to conform yourself to this vertical self. But we also have a horizontal self. 
And, and this is the vision of yourself that's part of the physical, imminent world around you with its structures and relationships and cultures. And, and it also includes, as a matter of fact, your inner person. That's your horizontal self. So the question is, how did we lose this point of reference? How did we lose this vertical self? Well, it would take a long time to really unpack that. It's a long and wavering argument. There's a lot of great books that are in your notes that you can look at that will explain this. But essentially, a number of philosophical movements have flattened the vertical self. And where we're at culturally today is we've essentially removed God and the transcendent from the equation. And so for many, identity, uh, for, for many, our identity is no longer attached to this vertical point of reference. And where does that leave us? Well, in many ways, like looking out the bus window, it leaves us at a moment of disorientation. Because we're asking the question then, well, where do I find my point of reference for human identity? And so, in this def desperate search for meaning, we have looked to the horizontal plane around us to find significance. And without a point of reference, personal identity then for, in our current state, in our society, in our culture, has become more fluid than fixed. So it's not based on something that's external, that's beyond us. It has to be based on something that is internal within us. And all of this has inevitably led us to what we call expressive individualism. Okay? Again, another big word, but I'm bringing it back after week number one. The way to reach our highest good is through self-definition and self-expression. That's what expressive individualism is. So it's not based on outside forces. It's not based on definitions of people thrown at me or what culture is telling me. But my understanding of my identity is based on my feelings. It's based on my intuition. And its meaning is ultimately obtained when it's given expression, when I'm giving expression to my feelings and my desires. So this is at the heart of the statements that we hear in culture today, like you do you, or live your truth, or find yourself, or follow your heart. It's expressive individualism. But here's the thing about expressive individualism. Expressive individualism isn't just an inner quest. It is expressive. In other words, it has to be expressed in order for it to have meaning. So personal identity now, in our day, it's not just an internal monologue. It's actually a dialogue between myself and the world, which is really weird when you think about it. I mean, like, why is that? Why is it that my inner identity has to be expressed? I mean, can I just kind of keep it to myself, right? Can I just kind of keep it inside? Well, the answer to that question... Um, the way I can answer it is by simply asking us another question. Here's the question. Why do punk rockers all look the same? Do you ever think about that? I mean, when I think about punk rockers, what are punk rockers known for, right? There, I had a bunch of friends who were kind of punk rockers when I grew up in elementary school. They, they love punk rock. So a punk rock is basically a rejection of what's mainstream. Right? It's kind of, they kind of walk around with a nihilistic swagger, kind of a I don't care about anything attitude, because they're all about freedom of expression and they're all about raging against conformity. But when you think about punk rockers, what comes to mind? Well, mohawks, spiky hair, leather jackets, dog collars, ripped jeans, tattoos, etc., etc. Now, I know punk rock has changed a lot since I was a kid. I realize that. But generally speaking, that's the image of a punk rocker. So if punk rockers are so individualistic, and if punk rockers reject conformity, then why do they all look the same? Have you ever thought about that? 
Why is there such a thing as punk style or punk fashion? Well, the answer to the question is simple. We are social beings. We were made for relationship. Each of us has an innate longing within us to belong. And so when we're living and thinking on this horizontal plane, we need to have other people validate us if we are going to find meaning and significance in this life. Because we don't have a vertical reference point on which to base our identity. So what we're left with is life here on the horizontal plane. So what do we do? I mean, we, we basically project an image of ourselves out into the world of people. I mean, people do this all the time. You do this all the time. You project an image of yourself out into the world of people. And then what do you do? You wait for feedback. And that feedback is either going to affirm or it's going to deny the image that you put out there. And I mean, it comes in so many different ways. You know, whether we're fishing for a compliment, whether we're sashaying around in a pretty dress, right? Whether we're posting a photo on Instagram, okay? We're constantly sending out these pings, 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 right? And we're waiting for them to come back so that we can say, oh, I'm validated. I'm meaningful. I'm significant. So we look for other people to validate who we are and legitimize who we are. Here's the thing. People in this world are mirrors for ourselves. The people around you are mirrors for yourself. Now, if you haven't noticed already, this longing for validation is actually at the center of our culture wars around identity politics. Because people not only just want to express their identity, but people want us to va validate and legitimize the identity that expressed to the world. So they not only want acceptance, but they also want agreement. All right, so to summarize, where we're at up to this point, when you flatten the vertical, okay, what do you do? You look around at the horizontal for identity and meaning, and this leads to an inward world for discovery, right? But that tends to lead us expressing that to the world, and we want validation. And when we get that validation, we find significance and we find meaning. Now, the result of all of this, okay, 300, 400 years in the making, the result of all of this is it leads to two realities about the modern self. Here's the first one. The curated self. In our present state, in our search for meaning, we are constantly honing, changing, shaping our public personas. Essentially, we're, we're running a personal public relations campaign in order to receive messages of meaning. And we do this through multiple ways of expression. Things that we wouldn't have done 100 years ago. Through our styles of clothing. When people used to own only two coats, right? But we do it through styles of clothing. We do it through hairstyles, fingernails, tattoos, the car we drive, the dog we own, the cause we support. But now, because of technology, okay, we can do this in ways that we never thought of before this last decade. And it all started in 2007 with the advent of the smartphone. Did you know that now you are the photographer, you are the editor, and you are the publisher of your social identity? You can airbrush your images so you look 10 years younger and 50 pounds lighter. You, you can edit comments or texts way before you ever send them out into the world. You can create avatars of yourself. I have an iPhone little 
avatar of Rob. He's missing a tooth, okay? Um, you can play role-playing games on, online and pretend you're somebody completely different. I mean, my kids, uh, some of them have like multiple Instagram accounts for multiple different audiences. So in short, identity now has been replaced with imagery. And the downside is, is that, that we can create public or social identities which may not actually represent our authentic identities. But that's okay, because authenticity isn't what matters. Validation is what matters. We are meaning seekers. We are meaning makers. And if my digital identity will get me more likes or followers or shares, then it gives me a sense of significance and meaning. And it doesn't really matter if it's my true authentic self. So that's the curated self. But that inevitably leads us to what we would call the compartmentalized self. We now have multiple versions of ourself. And this, we're getting back to the beginning, where I started. We have a work self, we have a school self, we have a family self, we have multiple versions of our online selves. And as a result, in this current cultural climate, we find it very difficult, very, very hard to locate our true self. I mean, which self is the real me, right? Which self is the center self? And when we have multiple selves, what we find within ourselves, uh, we experience internal conflict and confusion. There's actually a, a specific term for this. It's called multifrenia. Who are we, really? What do we truly believe? And this has never been more um, extensive than any other point in human history, the compartmentalized self. So, this is a cultural reality that believers in Christ now, today, find themselves swimming in. And the thing is, if we're not paying attention, it's very easy for us to simply slide into the pattern of the world around us. Now, as it turns out, this problem of fragmentation is not completely new. Um, as a matter of fact, it, it may have taken on new forms in the day and age we live in, but human beings have actually always struggled with this throughout human history. So in our time remaining together, what I'd like us to do is I'd like us to explore Jesus' answer to the problem of fragmentation. And the answer is found in Matthew chapter 23, starting at verse 1. So I'm going to read the text, and I just invite you to follow along with me. This is the word of God. Then Jesus said to the crowds and to his disciples, the scribes and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So do and observe whatever they tell you, but not the works they do. For they preach, but do not practice. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you, you clean the outside of the cup and the plate, but inside they're full of greed and self-indulgence. You blind Pharisee! First clean the inside of the cup and the plate, and the outside also may be clean. Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for, for you're all like whitewashed tombs, which outwardly appear beautiful, but within are full of dead people's bones and all uncleanness. So you also outwardly appear righteous to others, but within you are full of hypocrisy and lawlessness. This is the word of God. All right, let me give you a bit of background to this text here, and then I'm going to make some three critical observations about it. First of all, uh, this is, Matthew 23 is, is part of a larger teaching discourse of Jesus that's known as the seven woes, okay? And, and woe, that word woe, is a declaration of judgment. 
So in this discourse, Jesus is essentially calling out the Pharisees for their behavior. The Pharisees were the teachers of the law. They were, they were like the most powerful religious group in their day. So they essentially interpreted the law of Moses for Israel, and then they uh, put also enforced the practice of these principles. And they, they brought these interpretations together in, in the Talmud, which essentially were the tradition of the elders that was based on the law. So that's who the Pharisees were. And, and Jesus pronounced, goes through here, and he pronounces seven woes against the Pharisees for a number of different reasons. But one of the major reasons was because they were hypocrites. Now, that, that word hypocrite uh, comes from the Greek word hypocrisy. And it, it was a word that was commonly used in Greek theater, and it basically meant this. It means to, to put on a mask. A lot of you know what that's all about right now, right? Putting on a mask. Uh, so the idea behind the Pharisees is that the Pharisees were essentially play-acting. And that's what Jesus means when he says, they preach, but they do not practice. Now, we have to be clear. It, it's not that they simply failed to live up to their own standards. Okay, that's not what hypocrisy is. Because everyone does that in one way or another. We create a standard for ourselves, and, and we fail at it. The essence of hypocrisy is they were pretending to be good. So, so they, only, they only seemed to have it all together. So that there was this kind of this thin veneer of religiosity about them that covered up a private world of failure or greed or fear or whatever. And they never ever gave any indication that they were in need of grace. So essentially they were religious performers. That's what it means to be a hypocrite. So that's the background of the text that we're reading, and it brings us to three critical observations about Jesus that we can, we can look at for the text that will speak to our issue of fragmentation in the modern world. Number one, Jesus provides a point of reference. So it's interesting, if you read through this, is Jesus actually anchors the inner self to that vertical reality. So as you read the Gospels, it's clear. Jesus agrees. We are all part of God's big story. God created the world and the cosmos. He created human beings in his own image. And he created a world with moral order. And this moral order essentially flows out of God's character. So, so God didn't just throw out a bunch of arbitrary rules for us to obey. No, 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 no. All of those are linked to the very essence and nature of God, who is holy and righteous and good. And you can't miss this as you read through the seven woes, especially if you read verses 8 to 9. I mean, I mean, just look at the language in the section that we read. In the section that we read, Jesus speaks of righteousness. He speaks of lawlessness, greed, and indulgent works and practices. I mean, this is all the language of moral order that's linked to the very person of God. So what does that mean? Well, what this means, then, is that Jesus provides us a fixed point of reference for our understanding of who we are. A divine moral order. And... And if we take Jesus seriously, this means that our, our struggle with identity is more than a struggle with meaning. Jesus would say that it's also a spiritual problem. And, and I realize in, in the modern discourse that's out there that we find ourselves talking and discussing about, this idea of it being a spiritual problem is, is mostly ignored. And that makes sense. Because here's the thing. If you flatten the vertical and you remove God from the picture, then essentially what's left? Well, it becomes a a philosophical problem, or a psychological problem, or a power dynamic problem, or it becomes a technological problem. But Jesus said with the problem, not discrediting any of those things, but the problem is primarily a spiritual one. So it's about being connected with the God who created us in his image, this God who designed us to be in relationship with him. So that's the first thing. The second thing is that Jesus supports 
completeness. So Jesus would say that, that who we are on the inside ultimately should match who we are on the outside, that, that there should never be multiple versions of ourselves, that our life should not be fragmented or compartmentalized. Instead, Jesus would say we need to be whole, we need to be complete, integrated. But the problem with the Pharisees is, is they were compartmentalized, right? They, they had their public world and they had their private world, but Jesus would say that character should run through us, both inside and out. So it's not enough, Jesus would say, to clean just the outside of the mug. You've got to clean the inside as well. It's not enough to just whitewash your tombstones and polish them up when there's bones inside that need to be dealt with. Um, the Pharisees, though, they, they had created this elaborate system that applauded spiritual expression but largely ignored spiritual authenticity. They thought it was enough. It was just enough just to keep up with appearances. But if you study Jesus, you realize that he would say that spiritual integrity, spiritual identity is integrated. I mean, this is actually where the word integrity comes from. Uh, the word integrity means to be whole and to be undivided. So you talk about a structural integrity of a building, that's what it means. It means that it's, it's got structure and wholeness and completeness and strength, okay? So a person of integrity is a person who has character that runs straight through them in their inner world as well as in their outer world. But again, this completeness, Jesus would say, it's, it's not something that I create on my own terms. It's not something that I just come up with in my feelings or with my intuition, but it has a fixed reference point. It is tied to something else, something vertical. This God who, who loved me and who created me in his image and, and who wants to be in relationship with me and, and, and provide structure for my life through his moral order. This is my anchor. This is the vertical identity that I find myself linked to. And through that, if I allow that to run its full course inside and out in my life, what does it lead to? It leads to wholeness. It leads to completeness. So here's the third thing. Jesus invites transformation. You notice what Jesus says. He says the path to being complete begins on the inside, and then it works its way to the outside. What does he say? He says you must first, first clean the inside of the cup, and then you'll be able to then clean the outside of the cup. And this is how Jesus works in God's divine, uh, how change works in God's divine company. In, in God's divine economy, it works inside out. So, so Jesus isn't just about behavior modification. He isn't just about polishing up your spiritual resume. Jesus is about life transformation from the inside out. Unfortunately, oftentimes, and I don't know about you, but for me, my gut instinct is to just kind of keep up appearances. And, and, and the reason is, is because something within humanity, and I'm part of that humanity, but something within humanity doesn't want to be exposed. I mean, we find that in Genesis chapter 3. The, you, remember, you remember the story, right? The first human beings rebelled against God. They ate from the tree of the knowledge and good and evil, which they weren't supposed to do. And God said, you do that, you know, you're going to die, right? But they went and did it anyway. They rebelled against God. And what happened? As soon as that happened, they understood that they were naked. What does that mean? It means they experienced shame. So then what did they do? They went about and they grabbed a bunch of leaves and they covered themselves up. They covered up their nakedness. And then God comes along and he's in the garden in the heat of the day. And God wants to visit with them. And they hear God come and what do they do? They run for the bushes. What do they do? They cover themselves up. Why? They felt shame. They feared exposure. And it's, and it's this fear of exposure that is at the heart of the fragmented self. Jesus actually talks about this in John chapter 3. Here's what he says. 
He says, and this is the judgment. The light has come into the world, and people love the darkness rather than the light. Because why? Because their works were evil. For everyone who does wicked things hates the light and does not come to the light, lest his work should be what? Exposed. Here's the thing. It is easier to keep everything hidden in the dark. And light exposes because, you know, we don't want to be exposed because here's the thing. If we're exposed, then we have to deal with what's going on beneath the surface of our lives. And there's a cost to that. And, and, and sometimes there's pain in that. And so we would much rather stay hidden than exposed. I don't know about you, but I, it seems like pretending seems far easier. And it is for a little while. But eventually it costs you more than you bargained for. Because here's the thing, nothing good grows in the darkness except mushrooms and millipedes, and they do that on a pile of, you know. So maybe you're here today, or maybe you're joining us online, and you've been faking it. Maybe you're a spiritual poser, a great pretender. But really, if you're honest with yourself, you're actually pretty fragmented. And your public persona might look pretty good. How you doing? I'm fine. I'm fine. I'm good, right? But beneath the surface of your life, you're actually broken. You're dying. You're a pile of dead bones. Let me ask you this morning. Do you need to take your mask off? Do you need to step outside from the shadows? Because here's the, here's the promise of Jesus, okay? Here's the promise of Jesus for any of us who would choose to do that and to step into the light. Here's what he says, John 8, verse 12. Again, Jesus spoke to them. He's saying, I am the light of the world, but whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. So yes, light exposes, but light also gives life. And yes, coming into the light, it might hurt at first, but eventually it gives you life because Jesus is the light of the world. By him, all people see. By him, all receive life. So maybe, I mean, maybe for you today, today is the day that you stop running for God. Maybe today is the day you take off your mask, the day you step into the light, to step out of the shadows, to stop living in denial of your problems, to put hiddenness aside and bring yourself, your full self, before God. Today, maybe, today is your day. Listen, now, God is not surprised by your brokenness. I mean, your sin or, or your pain. He, he sees it all. I mean, he's been there all along. But in order for you to deal with it, you must bring it into the light. You must say, God, here I am, fully exposed. Help me, forgive me, change me, save me. I wonder, is today your day? But taking off your mask, it isn't just a personal spiritual activity. Taking off your mask is actually something you do with a community of people who share the same spiritual values that you do. True Christ-centered gospel community involves trusting other people with myself. And this is actually God's solution to the fragmented self. And I mean, don't, don't just take my word for it. I, I stand under the authority of the word of God this morning. Let me give you some examples from scripture. James 5, verse 16. Therefore, 
confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Ephesians 4 and verse 25, it says this, Therefore, having put away falsehood, right? Stop faking it. Stop pretending. Having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. True Christ-centered gospel, biblical community, involves trusting others with myself. And I, I know this sounds hard. I mean, it really, it sounds really, really, really hard, right? Most of us, you likely find it easier to trust God with yourself. But trusting others with yourself? I mean, that's another matter altogether, isn't it? Because what if I'm honest about myself with other people and they reject me? Well, they might. Or you might just start a revolution. A revolution of transparency. A revolt of people burning their masks in the town square. And I don't mean these masks. I mean, you know what I mean, right? Because here's the truth. Trust begets trust. And the more that you're willing to take off your mask and share your junk with other people, the more willing that they will be to take off their mask and share their junk with you. Trust creates trust. But trust can only grow in a community that is saturated with the gospel of Jesus Christ. What is that gospel? Let me remind you this morning. The gospel declares that God loves everybody, no matter what they're done. Every person is created in his image. He loves them. It also declares that every single one of us are sinful. And we're all in need of saving. And we cannot be saved by our performance. The thin veneer of righteousness that we put out in front of us will not save us. Nobody can be saved that way. We can only be saved through grace, God's grace, through the mercy of a loving God who gave himself up for us and stood in our place. And the deeper we understand this gospel, the deeper we go into this gospel and live in it and swim in it and dwell in it, the more loving and accepting we should become as the people of God. But when you forget the gospel and you become a group of Pharisees, what do people do? They shut down. And this is why Jesus was so vehemently opposed to them. They had created a system of, of performance-based righteousness. Nobody could ever measure up. There was no grace for anybody who failed. So what did people do? They shut down. Because there was no gospel and the community was not safe. Crosspoint. We want to be a community where every day we go deeper and deeper into the gospel. We want to be a community where it's safe to say, I am not doing well. I am not fine. We want to be a community where there is grace to forgive and there is power to change. And this is a countercultural movement away from fragmentation and towards completeness. It is a mask-burning movement where we are transformed by God's grace from the inside out. And we reveal ourselves to each other in such a way that we are open and honest about our need for grace. The question is before us this morning is, will you be part of that movement? Let's pray. And Lord, I, I know that there are some in this room today and, and there are some online 
who have been sitting in the shadows and who have been afraid to come into the light because of exposure, even though knowing that stepping into the light is what their soul truly needs. So God, we just want to pause this morning and give people an opportunity to respond to you and your great grace. Give them an opportunity to step into the light. And so while we're all praying together in community, I want to give you that chance. Maybe today you could just simply say to the Lord, Lord, this is who I am. And just be completely honest about your, your hurt, your fear, your failures. And say, God, take me. Forgive me. Heal me. Change me. And I give you a moment to do that to take off the mask and to step into the light. Our Lord and Savior, we thank you that through the gospel we are validated, we are legitimized, we have meaning and significance and purpose. We thank you, Lord Jesus, for being the center and the anchor of our lives. And we worship you and we praise you. And we give thanks in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, thanks for listening to our podcast. We hope it's helped you in your spiritual journey and it's helped you draw closer to God. Let me tell you a little bit about us. Crosspoint gathers as one church on Sundays in Northeast Edmonton. And you can find out our location and more about us by visiting our website, thecrosspointchurch.ca. We also meet throughout the week throughout Edmonton in what we call home groups. These are smaller communities of learning, laughter, community, uh, transformation. We, we think that the journey of faith was never intended to be an independent exercise. It's, it's something that we do together. So please visit our website and find out how you can get connected to a home group near you. If you listen to our podcast regularly, why not make it shareable? You could like us on iTunes or share our podcast with other people. But more importantly, we hope you will get connected with other people and talk about what you've learned. Again, hey, thanks for listening. We pray you'll experience Christ's love in a very real and profound way this week.